Alright, what's up everybody and welcome to episode number 99, part due. Electric Boogaloo of uh, Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries for Wednesday, June 27th, 2018. I'm here with my co-host Mike. Mike, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. I hear that your AC got fixed. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's it's got fixed and I'm getting used to how cold it can get in here. Like it's never it's never worked this well before, so it's 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 a wonderful thing, but it's it's something I'm still adapting to. Cause I'm like, oh wow, it's kind of chilly in here. <laughs> um, and my toes doing better. Uh, the only thing that's not is I have to keep taking these dang antibiotics, and they're causing my face to break out, like just uh, just dry skin everywhere. It's it's not fun. It's it looks bad. It's it looks like I have like an allergic reaction or something. I don't know. It's, I think it's because I I don't have an infection and I'm still taking antibiotics and my body's like, dude, what the fuck? <laughs> you know, all right, all right. I'm gonna keep taking these. I'll I'll I'll, uh, I'll, I'll do something. You know, I, I'll guess I'll, I'll I'll try to take the infection out of your face. Apparently, <laughs> I think you still look beautiful, toe. Mike. <laughs> Thank you, but uh, we're we're probably gonna keep uh, our uh, chit chat pretty short for this uh, episode, folks. Pretty uh, action packed. There's a lot. This is a jam packed episode. Yeah. Before we get into that, though, I do want to talk about my trip to Savannah last Thursday, where I actually attended an Unsolved Mysteries listening party. Um, they're going. A lot of you may know this by now, but a record label called Terror Vision has put out. The uh, soundtrack to uh, Unsolved Mysteries, Ghosts, Hauntings, and Unexplained segments. Um, only on vinyl. Only on vinyl. Um, there was a limited edition, too, that had uh, uh, cues from the missing persons and other stuff like that and so on and so forth. It just had more vocal, or not vocal cues, it had more audio cues from, it, yeah. it was basically the complete ghosts unexplained every cue that that was ever used for any of those segments was on there it's essentially a soundtrack uh, they're called cues because in the they cue certain mm -hmm. mo modes and moods and scenes in the show but yeah it's essentially a it'd be soundtrack. nice if they had the one from uh uh what's the guy uh, the rampage guy i forgot oh, his rick first name. uh rick church rick's rampage yeah. yeah rick church yeah that was a pretty creepy one um so yeah, I went to there, and um, it was at a place called Graveface Records and Curiosities. It's a cool little record shop mm -hmm. in Savannah. I'd never been to Savannah before. I hadn't even left Jacksonville at this point for a long-ass time. Well, I'd left Jacksonville, but I hadn't left Florida. I hadn't made a trip like this in a while, so that was refreshing, getting the fuck up out of Florida for a little bit. Even though Georgia, the Georgia heat was... Just as comparable to Florida's heat. It was hot as <laughs> balls that day. Well, it's supposed to be really hot in Florida right now. Yeah. Right? Uh, Over 100 degrees. Yeah, it does uh, It does a thing to where on the, on the app on your phone, it says 95 degrees, but then underneath it says feels like 105 degrees, <laughs> which I always, I always love that because it's like, what does that even mean? 
If it feels well, there like- was something even worse. Like our uh, my mom's phone app was trying to say it was like seventy something or degrees or something outside, and we looked up. It's ninety five. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, I actually like I, wrong. I actually like <laughs> looked up your state or your city when you were telling me how hot it was in your room last week. You were telling me it was 90 degrees. And yeah, the app was telling me it was 70. I'm like, what the fuck's Mike talking about? It wasn't 90 <laughs> degrees in his room, that it liar. It was. It was. <laughs> that app was fucking wrong. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's free, so what do you want? But no, anyway, um, we were... I could see why you were you were giving me shit then, because you were looking at the app. No, I only checked the otherwise. app after the fact. I I, oh, okay. I I took your word for it at first, but then I was we me and Stephanie were having a conversation about weather and stuff, and I was like, wait a second, I have this app on my phone. I'm gonna because it lets you look up any city's weather. <laughs> and, then, and then you were all like, bullshit, he's lying. Yeah, I was like seventy, and fucking geez, it's a, a pleasant day over there in Vancouver. <laughs> Mike's sitting here acting like, oh, it's too hot to do a podcast. It actually wasn't a pleasant day at all. <laughs> So anyway, um, we were um, we went to the listening party and uh, it wasn't like it wasn't exactly how I thought it was going to be. Like I visualized going to be like a room. I visualized a room where like there'd be all these folding chairs and there'd be a yeah. record player in the front of the room and like and like drinks and snacks and yeah, whatever. And, and yeah, and we'd all just like sit down and like focus all of our attention on this. Yeah. And talk about unsolved mysteries and whatever. Not not just go to the record store while it's uh, open for business and, and just have the and, and the and the album is just playing. Yeah, right. yeah, that, that. <laughs> which is what essentially happened. And the video, the video to all this will be in the description of uh, this yeah. this podcast, so you can check that video out for yourself. Because he was lucky, also, that the guy who was working at Terrorvision was uh, the, the founder was there. Yeah, yeah, that's the gem of this whole story and that whole visit. Because if I went up there and that was a listening party and I bought a record, I'd be pretty happy. But the mm-hmm. fact that the one in Savannah, Georgia, just so happened to be where the owner and founder of Terravision Records worked, and that was his record store, and he was yep. there, because um, I started showing off my Robert Stack tattoo to uh-huh. one of the employees, and the employee's like, oh, my boss has got to see this. He's going to love this. And he shows his boss, which is Ryan, this guy named Ryan, and I start talking to him and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, well, you came to the right one because I am, you know, the owner of Terravision. I'm the one who put this all together. I'm like, what? No way. <laughs> so I was like, I got to yeah. bust my phone out and do an impromptu yeah. interview, which I did. So I got to interview the guy who made all that possible with the soundtrack. And he was telling me some interesting stuff about it. Um, a lot of the frequently asked questions about this was, why is it only on vinyl? Okay, well, the answer to that is... John Cosgrove did not want to give up the digital rights. He only wanted, he was only willing to relent with the vinyl. That was it. <laughs> so that's. Because he's out of touch. He's out of time. Yeah, pretty much. Thought you were going to do the whole song there for a second. Um, but yeah, so that that has nothing to do with television. That has nothing to do with you know any of that. It, that's all Mr. Cosgrove. As I we, could have I could have seen that coming a mile away, knowing how ass backwards and archaic he is with this. I bet he's probably thinking, 
If it's only on vinyl, then no one's going to pirate it. It's not going to be in a digital format. How wrong you will be, John. Well, just wait. I think as long as he, <laughs> as long as he said, you know, as long as contractually it was only supposed to be on vinyl, he can still go after people and sue them if it if it ends up online. Because he loves yeah. doing that. He loves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's still going to end up online in some form or another. And and if it ends up on a torrent site, good luck trying to sue anybody because yeah. it's going to be hard to he find any, the person that even put it is, on there. Probably. He probably doesn't even know what a torrent site is. He's probably thinking, oh, if I see it on YouTube, if I see it on some obvious website, I can strike it down. But, um, yeah, Ryan was telling me, because uh, not everything made it into the interview. I didn't know, you know, whatever, but I, I guess I can talk a little bit about it on here. Um, he was telling me that that he had to pay John Cosgrove a lot of money to get wow. these rights. He was saying, because, you know, he owns this record label, so he's like, uh -huh. he's like, I've had to pay money before to get, you know, the rights to certain uh -huh. music, you know. So and, so no wonder it was uh, such uh, limited quantities. Well, I mean, no. I mean, that, that doesn't really compute because if you spend all this money to get the rights, then you you think you'd want to make as many quantities as possible. Basically, yeah, but he's, a, he's a small, independent, you know, uh, record label. So if he spends, like, more than he normally does to just get the rights for this particular album and it's a niche audience yeah there are a lot of people that would uh, love unsolved mysteries but the problem is it's vinyl only so he's gonna run into he, he was gonna run into some issues anyway in terms of selling enough copies well basically as soon as he runs out of this batch he's gonna make another batch so i mean that's oh, okay much all there is to but it. i mean the limited stuff though the limited quant well the yeah limited, the limited run well i mean yeah out limited run three that's what LP. i was talking about but yeah, yeah, I mean, he was saying, he's like, you know, I've had to pay off people before. And he's like, but this was like an insane amount. And he never <laughs> he never told me how much it actually was. But he's like, yeah, I paid an insane amount of money to... Not to, surprised. Yeah, not surprised. Not at all surprised. And then he... I was telling him about how I got the cease and desist letter, the infamous cease and desist letter. And, <laughs> and he told me he got a cease and desist letter from John <laughs> as well. Wow. Because he was trying to bundle the record with like a, a shirt like an unsolved mystery shirt yeah and he does that a lot yeah he has a lot of shirts and stuff on his site oh okay yeah i didn't know that so yeah he tried doing that and he got a cease and desist from john but he but john okayed it on the phone but so when he called john and he's like hey why am i getting this cease and desist you know yeah, we, what an ass. you you said it was okay on the phone and then john said it's not in the contract if it's not in the contract it doesn't exist <laughs> it doesn't matter wow yeah so that's what a sneaky bastard well <laughs> you know ryan had no ill will and no bad feelings towards john because as he said in the video that i'm gonna post in the description he said you know he let me do this he he let he let this happen. i mean yeah but he also let you do it because you paid him enough money yeah right <laughs> well that's you know and we talked about that too and and you know he kind of Ryan's theory on it, on why John's so protective, is kind of the same as my theory, which is John Cosgrove hasn't created a lot in his life. Yeah. And so the things he has created, he's very, it's precious to him. Yeah. Oh, fun yeah. fact. Did you know that John Cosgrove was the executive producer and created the show Erie, Indiana? Yeah, actually, yeah. Of course you fucking knew that. But everyone else there probably did. I didn't know that. It was a surprise to me. It's at a least. fun show. It only lasted a season, but um it stars Omni Cats, 
who I think Omri Katz was in, uh, yeah, he was in Hocus Pocus. Yeah, so that was a fun fact that I, I didn't know. But yeah, I was able to score one of the little Unsolved Mysteries official posters for the listening party. Uh, the The guy had like a whole stack of them back there and he just gave me one because I wanted the one that was in the storefront that they were using, but he just went uh -huh. got me a, a clean blank one, which was awesome because the one in the storefront had... I should have asked you for one I know, myself, I should have asked. I didn't want to be... fucked up. Yeah, I, did, I didn't want to be greedy and be like, can I have like a couple, you know? So I was like, oh, I'll just, I won't push my luck. I'll just get this one. Yeah. But I'm, it's I, cool. I'm like looking at it right now, hanging up in my wall. It looks so cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was overall a really cool experience and... You know, Ryan was a cool dude. Um, like, again, if you want to find out more information on all that, check out the interview that in the description that I'm going to post. Um, mm -hmm. He also said if this goes well, if this album sells well, then he's going to do the UFO soundtrack next. So all the sound cues that were used in the UFO episodes. So that would be extremely awesome. Yeah. Um, also, if you are uh, in, in the description of this podcast, if you're interested in supporting our podcast and you want to represent our podcast, we have merch in the form of t-shirts with our beautiful logo on there. And you can get those by just following the link. That's all there is to it. Uh, limited supply, but again, if we sell out of all of them, then I'll order more. So uh, I think we're already sold out of some of the sizes, unfortunately. But um, Yeah, and we might set up a Redbubble account, too, sometimes. Yeah, so. maybe. Maybe. Depends. Uh, someone's going to have to I do... Said I said might. Yeah, and also, if you want to um, join our Facebook group, which I highly recommend, it is uh, go to facebook.com and search Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. Join the group. Don't even acknowledge the fan page. It's so stupid, and it does nothing for us. The group is like the bomb. I love our group. Mm -hmm. um, so join that. So uh, anyway, going to the meat and potatoes of this podcast here. Last week, we did a documentary, or we did a podcast about the documentary Jesus Camp. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I, a lot of people liked it. I haven't I haven't really heard any negative feedback about like I thought I, I thought we'd lose listeners over that because we were like really delving into our our issues with um, Christianity and organized religion. Um, but anyway, the documentary, it was a, it was a really solid documentary, very creepy, very much reminded mm -hmm. me of my childhood and Mike could relate to it with the, you know, with his stepdad and all that. So now we have a where are they now the kids of jesus camp 10 years later um and then they have a yeah. tagline underneath was it child abuse yes and no <laughs> so yeah this is from the guardian um and uh, this is an article by does it even show who the author is does oh yeah josiah hess so, uh, 10-year-old Andrew Summercamp with his shy demeanor and floppy blonde hair mounts the stage of the Kids on Fire church camp and nervously tells the crowd that he's struggling with his belief in God. He spent days watching his fellow Christian campers weep uncontrollably, repenting and begging God's forgiveness, and he has a confession to share. Yeah, so I, I, this, this, was, uh, this was the toe-headed kid or the mushroom-headed yeah. kid. That yeah. I related to last mm -hmm. week when I said, you know, he was the kid who's like, I've been a phony or whatever. And I, yeah. I don't always they actually have the quote here. He says, I, I, I just want to talk about belief in God. I've I've been having a hard time with it. He says, staring at the ground, scared and confused as the other kids look around at each other with anxiety in their eyes. To believe in God is hard because you don't see him and you don't know much. Sometimes I don't even believe what the Bible says. It makes me a faker. It makes me feel guilty and bad. 
It's one of several emotionally exhausting scenes in the 2006 documentary Jesus Camp. Over the course of its celebrated and contested life, Jesus Camp has become a Rorschach test for audiences. Some evangelicals see it as a fair representation of their culture, while secular, left-leaning audiences typically see an expose against a malicious force of right-wing right-wing indoctrination, often walking away with one angry phase, phrase on their lips, child abuse. Ten years later, Summer Camp, yes, that's his real name. And I know, I'm like, look at it, like, <laughs> Summer Camp. Like, literally, it, it <laughs> yeah. is, it's a German spelling. It's Zoma Camp, which is, uh-huh. which is in German would mean Summer Camp. I mean, it's, <laughs> there's no way you can get around this, this motherfucker's last, this little toehead's last name is Summer Camp. And he went to Jesus, you know, Kids on Fire Summer Camp. Yeah. By, I just almost said Jesus on Fire. That's a different, that's a different Summer Camp altogether. Yeah. By the way, I don't know if this is an expression <laughs> that's just in the South, but a, t- a toehead is, is someone with, who's a white boy with blonde hair is we, what we call a toehead. Jesus on Fire. <laughs> but, um... So anyway, uh, he is he is now ten years later abandoned his evangelical Christianity. He's living with a group of spiritual seekers in Mount Shasta, California. His split from the evangelical world happened when his father came out as gay. He says he spent several years angry at the church, but has since discovered peace in Eastern mysticism, quantum mechanics, and psychotropic drugs. Uh-huh. That's have so, you seen a picture? You've seen the picture? Yeah, of what he looks like now. Yeah, he looks like the lead singer for like a fucking '90s like grunge band, grunge or band, indie yeah. band or something. Looks kind of like a uh, looks kind of like your like typical millennial hippie or a roadie. Just like long scraggly hair, you know, like a, like a roadie in the '90s for one of those grunge bands. It's kind of funny though. Like I knew, I knew that's exactly what was going to happen to this kid before even reading this article. Like I knew <laughs> that he was going to end up, you know, turning that route. I mean, the drug part, I'm not a big fan of. Um, I don't really like that he's uh-huh. re- he's reverted doing to doing that. Although yeah. there are a bunch of proponents out there for psychotropic drugs. Um, I I don't know. I just feel like that's not a great road. But um. Anyway, he goes on to say, was it child abuse? Yes and no. Uh, he said it in a recent interview about his time at Kids on Fire Church Camp. He, he's quoted as saying, I think they had the best of intentions, but I see it as sick people trying to treat sick people. It's their coping mechanism for figuring out why we're alive. I wouldn't trade that experience for anything, though, because it allowed me at such a young age to question my existence. It's a fair That's point. That's a good point. Yeah, fair point. I have peace of mind. Uh, Levi O'Brien was 12 when he was featured in Jesus Camp, sporting an enormous rat tail, oversized t-shirts, and unusually confident demeanor. Unlike Summer Camp in the film, O'Brien was wildly enthusiastic about his faith, speaking passionately about how his life had been transformed by God. It's an intensity that continues in him today, which he applies to his job as a staff member of World Revival Ministries. He says that people are often shocked that he's turned out to be a happy, healthy young man who wasn't traumatized by his experiences at Jesus Camp. I've been asked the same question hundreds of times by people from all over the world. Do you believe you are the way you are because of how you were raised? And he says, isn't everybody? And let's look at the outcome. I have peace in my mind. I have drive and purpose and character. And according to child psychologist Valerie Tarico, an outspoken critic of evangelical culture, many children of evangelical upbringing don't turn out so well. 
One of the problems with faith-based teaching is that it teaches children not to trust their own reason and intuition, undermining their ability to have confidence and their own knowledge and ability to process information. There's a lot of psychological damage that follows when people are trained not to trust themselves. For many viewers, Jesus Camp was their first exposure to a Pentecostal church service, where crying, screaming, dancing, speaking in tongues, and convulsions are as ritualistic as incense at a Catholic ceremony. Co-director of the film Heidi Ewing said she disagreed with the teachings of the camp, but she didn't feel that the camp leaders were abusive. I respectfully disagree with that, but okay. They're not doing anything illegal, and if you want to raise your children as liberal progressives to be amped up about environmentalism and being pro-choice, you can do that. She said some of the arguments against the film were so knee-jerk, it made me realize that the far left and the far right have a lot in common. Liberal outrage. In addition to the camp, the film captures an intimate portrayal of the children's lives at home, where every aspect of their day is wrapped up in evangelical beliefs. Their homeschool textbooks deny global warming and teach creationism. (laughs) That's hilarious. (laughs) They listen to Christian music and right-wing talk radio, watch Christian movies, and pledge allegiance to a Christian flag. Activities included proselytizing to strangers at a bowling alley and protesting abortion outside the Supreme Court. Yeah, both very awkward scenes, although the proselytizing at the bowling alley was probably the most awkward. Uh, Liberal audiences were outraged by a scene featuring Pastor Ted Haggard, leader of the National Association of Evangelicals and informal advisor to then-President George Bush, where he disparages homosexuality as a sin, then makes a joke about infidelity and blackmail into the camera. Serendipitously, Jesus Camp hit theaters at the exact time that Haggard was exposed as having a three-year relationship with a male prostitute from whom he also purchased methamphetamine. That's so funny. That's so, Genesis did that song, Jesus, He Knows Me. And that song came mm-hmm. out in like, I want to say 94. And in the line, Phil Collins is talking about, I believe in my family with my ever loving wife beside me, but she don't know about my girlfriend or the man I, I met last night, <laughs> which is like right on with like what happened here, you know, year almost 10 years after that song even came out. So that's so like, even back then, like, because Phil Collins got really enamored with American evangelical types mm-hmm. and like the evangelicals on the radio and stuff. And uh, so he decided to write a song about called Jesus. He knows me. And it's basically mm-hmm. exposing the criticism or the uh, hypocrisy in these people. Um, not necessarily bashing religion in the song, but just these, you know, people like Ted Haggard and Jim Baker and all those kind of people. Um, late night political comedians like John Stewart and Bill Maher had a lot of fun with that clip, fueling the outrage and popularity of Jesus camp among atheists. Director of the Kids on Fire camp and lead subject of the film, Becky Fisher, declined to speak with us for this story. Of course. Though in her memoir, (laughs) Jesus Camp, My Story, she said that while the film sensationalized and overly politicized the camp, overall, she was satisfied with it. Of course she's going to say that, you know? They always bring that out. You know, they they edited it. They they made us look bad. They overly sensationalized things. I mean... They overly politicized it. They did all this other stuff. When you have a camp and you have footage of your counselors asking your kids to write government on coffee cups and telling them to break them with a hammer, I'm sorry. This is not an instance of, of, a, of the film being overly politicized. When you have a, a, a scene where you are praying and worshiping a fucking cardboard cutout of President Bush... 
It's kind of hard to it's kind of hard to take a scene like those that you just mentioned and say those were taken out of context. Oh well, I would love to see the the other context surrounding those scenes because I'm sure that will make smashing a coffee mug with the word government on it. I'm sure that'll make that scene make just so much more sense uh, out of context. My ass, that you know, I mean, exactly. They 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 showed us what they what they did, what they do there, you know, uh-huh. and it wasn't overly sensationalized. It, it was it was already over the top to begin with and another thing like she's saying you know things were were taken at, over sensationalized and all that well no you know becky you find bbw you nobody wants <laughs> to see the picture the videos of the kids at the camp when it was like spaghetti day you know and they're in the lunchroom <laughs> eating spaghetti and nothing interesting is happening of course they're gonna show the craziest parts of your jesus camp because who yeah. the fuck wants to see their, you know, regular life? You know, mm-hmm. I we all live our regular lives. We watch shit like this yeah. because it's sensational. But with that being said, this is what you people really do and what you really believe in. So, mm-hmm. you know, it is. So following the documentary's release, Fisher helped promote Jesus Camp along with an inbound. Inv- inv- That's a hard word. Uh, ev- evangelical PR company, but soon found herself the target of a radical opposition to her ministry. My email box is spilling over with angry accusations. Child abuse, brainwashing, indoctrinating children. You should be ashamed of yourself, she wrote. Uh, it's kind of true, all of it. <laughs> Fisher says she often feared for her safety when people would recognize her in public. She's probably over-sensationalizing her fear. Her popularity. Like, is, it, is anybody really going to be like, oh my god, it's that, it's that BBW, it's, it's that uh, crazy, it's, it's that batshit Becky from uh, Jesus Camp. Get her! <laughs> Get the torches! I'd, I'd, be, I'd be like, oh, there's Becky. I wonder if I wonder if she can um, spank me for sinning and doing wrong. <laughs> sexy ass. Oh, man. Sorry, Josh. it's just getting creepy at this point, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> I have a weird attraction to this woman. Uh, so, um, following the film's explosive popularity and an Academy Award nomination, the camp was vandalized and Fisher was not allowed to rent it for her ministry again. Damn. For the first time in my life, I could truly relate to Jewish people seeing how a Holocaust could have its embryonic beginnings. Don't compare. Don't even fucking go there and compare some summer camp getting vandalized to the Holocaust. Are you fucking kidding me? While she no longer operates a church camp, Fisher continues to provide religious instruction to children through a company, Kids Ministry International. She has a company now. By the end of our conversation, Summer Camp said that he didn't think he was abused. He was extremely critical of evangelicals, at one point calling Becky Fisher a terrible fucking person who is fueled by the spiritual suffering of other people. Sums it up rather nicely, if yeah, you ask me. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but he said he had chosen to have love, love for her and was even grateful for the experience of Jesus Camp. Huh, interesting. She's a terrible fucking person, but... I. I love her anyway. Again, I, I even, as somebody who turned away from their religious beliefs, you know, that were as pounded into me as a kid, I can even relate to that statement because, yes, as though, though they do show the most extreme moments of her in this documentary, there's probably a lot of times where she was just like chilling, hanging around the camp and having fun conversations with the kids and shit because she was great with kids. You can't deny that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that was a lot like when I was in school a lot of these people who were teaching dangerous shit and being so uh-huh. close-minded and hateful towards everyone else who wasn't in their, you know, belief system, 
they were still decent people at the end of the day. Like when you when you carved away all that dogmatic crap, they were, you know, they were friendly. They were good with kids. They were. But you don't know how much of that's a a, a ploy. It, it's a put on. It, it's a, it's a facade. You don't know how much of that is really true or not. See, to me, I feel like that's the real person. I feel like that when they're nice, I feel like that's the real them, but then they they feel like they have to put on this like shield and sword of like, you know, like, well, I even... I think sometimes that's the case, but then there's other times where it's definitely not. Like the real person is that crazy, um, uh, obsessed about politics or religion or whatever and power and so on and so forth. They put on that uh, guise, the disguise of their uh, the loving, kind, whatever individual, but it, that, that's the type of thing that a sociopath does really, really well. Yeah, I mean, that's you, valid. You can't really tell because um, they're so good at manipulating other people. Like, look at look at Scientology, for instance, and I you know anytime I get to bring up Scientology, I do. Um the the pro, the uh, practice of disconnection in Scientology, where uh, if somebody is declared, if somebody in your family, if you're a bunch of Scientologists, and somebody in your family is declared by the church a suppressive person, everybody in the family has to disconnect from that person. Mm-hmm. Do you think those people want to do that? It's like the hardest thing they have to do, but They're, because uh, they've hung their hat on this belief system, because they've they've dedicated their lives this belief system they do it they so unwantingly and so begrudgingly but they just do it but that's not who they really are i think are. there are some people who do it just you know they want to get up higher on, in in the rungs of scientology they don't they don't want to lose their place and they become so indoctrinated and brainwashed that it really isn't they really don't have any second thoughts about it well, that's I mean, that's really. the people who are like so deep into it. But I mean, most people, most of the people who have left the Church of Scientology, anytime they're interviewed, well, yeah, exactly. The people who left the church, they always but the talk people about who are still in the church. Well, yeah, they they talk about how yeah, you know, I was so under pressure, and I was so it was like it was like that that peer pressure, that mob mentality, that yeah. groupthink mentality that caused them to uh, make this this horrible, rash decision to, you know, cut a family member. But out. that's different. That's not necessarily manipulating, you know. I mean, that, that's that's making a decision that's uh, based on manipulation. But if you're the stuff that Becky and other people like her are doing is straight-up manipulation. And they're manipulating kids, and they're doing all this other sort of stuff. It's very the comparable. Whole thing, Ma- manipulation in Scientology starts from day one. I mean, well, like, it does exactly. But I'm not. Sa- I'm just saying these two things, like uh, the disconnection versus what's going on with Becky and in in indoctrinating kids. I think they're 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 two different sort of things. But that's just my personal. Yeah, I mean, it's. It, it, I I tend to try to see the good in these people. I I feel like. I mean, there probably is some good, and and you know, there are people that I've known that have shown some good sides, but there's there's just a lot of other shit that is is not good, and you know, it's and, like the same somebody, reason why you can you can have you can have a dinner conversation with a group of people, and as soon as it gets turned to religion. Politics it, or politics, or poli- yeah. it ruins the conversation. Exactly. It ruins friendships because when you when you leave out religion and politics, everybody's pretty much the same. We want the same shit. We have the same aspirations. We want to be happy and healthy, and we can have a decent conversation. But when you bring in these poisonous ass mm-hmm. ideologies, 
that's when that's when friendships get. I mean, dude, even the Trump uh, presidency, it 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 divided families because there was there you know the people who were so yeah. pro Trump in the family. That's one thing that I felt about the the new Roseanne TV show that that got canceled because Roseanne's racist tweets or whatever. Um, I I really thought the the pilot episode did a really good job is showing that you should not sacrifice family dynamics and relationships with one another over your politics. Put it aside, make a compromise, and choose family over politics because I th- it's a it's a team orientated thing. It, it's a lot like uh uh people who were fans of a of a sports team. It's a lot like that. Uh, it's very, very similar to the to to that. Um, it's honestly kind of uh, eerie how similar politics uh, is to uh, team sports and the fanatics uh, and and the fans. I don't know. So the older I get, the more I can relate to. I can see the points of both sides of the political spectrum. Like I can see some conservative viewpoints and I, and yeah, I, I could see some of it too, but I, I I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I'm not aligning. I don't, I don't align with any particular religion and I don't align with any particular political. Yeah. Party. That's pretty much where I'm at. For me, it's, it's common sense. What's common sense for Josh is what's common sense for Josh, you know, and I don't normally refer to yeah. myself in third person. I apologize <laughs> for that, but that's, you know, like, uh, so going back to the 10 years later thing, uh, the stuff with Levi, with Levi, um, the, the, the quote that he says, well, uh, you know, do you believe that you are the way you are because of how you were raised? Isn't everybody it, that to me shows that he is, he's clearly has, uh, he doesn't really choose a lot of things on his own. And, and a lot of his thought process is strictly based off of what his mother taught him and how his mother raised him. And he thinks like, oh, that's normal and whatever. There are a lot of kids who grow up and their parents are trying to teach them one thing and they they do a different thing entirely. Like they they do not they're not uh, because they're not who they are because of strictly of how they were raised. That's a very. um, I, I don't know. I, I just think that's a, a pretty vague statement. That there, and it's one of those things that you there are there is there are people who you can argue have been like that but i i'm gonna go out on a limb here this is probably not gonna be a popular opinion the thing i'm about to say but this is just okay so levi's the one who stuck with his religion the toehead kid mm-hmm. deviated as i knew he was going to yeah i look at levi when he was a kid he was a good looking kid i'm looking at him now in 2016 they have a picture of him he's a good looking adult Levi probably didn't have a whole lot of problems in his life, you know, as far as fitting in, you know, like um, being an outcast. Uh, If you look at this documentary, even there are so many scenes where the the toe headed kid, Andrew, I should start calling him by his first name. Andrew Mm -hmm. is, you know, off from the group. He's sitting by a tree reading while everyone else is playing. Meanwhile, Levi is like the popular kid almost. And... I guess when you go through life and you have that kind of privilege, Eddie's white. You wouldn't you know, want to give it up. Throw that in there too. 
you know, he's a white guy. So yeah, there's that. You, you wouldn't want, you would not want to give up. Well, it's not that you don't want to give it up. It's just that you never have a reason to question it because if, yeah. if, it, if well, there's that too. If the, you know, if you've never had anything really bad happen to you in life and you've kind of skated through life with happy, why fix what isn't broken? You know, this Levi kid, I guarantee you, he's probably the popular kid in his youth groups growing up, and he probably had all that reassurance and all that attention that kids want and crave. And, you know, it's like, hey, this whole, like, God stuff is working for me, and it's it's given me a great life. But then you look at Andrew, the toe-headed kid, and his dad came out as gay. And, I mean, on top of him already having trouble believing this stuff to begin with, so how much persecution do you think he went through growing up with a gay dad, you know, in school, you know, getting bullied mm-hmm. and all that other kind of shit? And he was a kind of a timid guy, so he's probably already had... Who knows? He could have been bullied by Levi. <laughs> right, yeah, and they just didn't show it. So the thing is, is like when when you see the world isn't as perfect and, and rosy as, you know, I'm in the church and everything's great and my life's great and all that. Well, for everyone else, it isn't so fucking great all the time. And, and you know, you start to question all this stuff when you when your life isn't how when you do everything that the Bible says in your life still isn't where it should be or the, the promises. Well, I mean, I, I'm going to say this like we don't know for sure that's what happened. But, you know, it's it's speculation. It is but hardcore it, speculation. It's, it's, an edu- it's an it's an educated guess. Based on uh, Levi's background and where he is right now and so on and so forth. Um, But what I meant by didn't want to leave is that you become so used to this group and this whole uh, community. And it becomes something that becomes a part of you and you don't want to leave it. And you, most of your friends are from this community. You, he probably met his wife in this community. Who is it's not, one of those who is things. not bad looking, by the way, he has no, a, he has a very attractive not. wife and good for him. I'm glad he's happy. I'm glad he's happy. I, I, you know, and he, he believes in God and that's fine. And so on and so forth. Um, it's just one of those things where I just feel I mean, he 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 says the typical sort of things that people say when they're all when they've been indoctrinated for so long, for years and years and years. They're all like, "What? What? Why would you know? Isn't this normal? You know that kind of thing. Isn't this how things you know are? Because that's all they know. That's all they've ever known. So they have no reason to doubt anything." My whole fear about these kind of people is they're the ones going out and they're taking their life experiences and they're not really sympathizing with other people who might have come from different backgrounds. Oh, so yeah, some of them do for sure. Yeah, and, they, and they're going out and they're voting and they're they're affecting policy that you know affects this entire country based on their religious beliefs, which mm-hmm. that's where I. You know, I and I don't religion know. and politics should be separate. There's a reason why they were uh, when. The, the church had control of the government. It was a nightmare. Uh, there's a reason. Why, look what happened in England. Look what happened in the Middle Ages. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's you know, that's all. And, and for all I know, he could be a really progressive, e- yeah, he could e- be. evangelical, you know, because I've met, you know, Christians who are very open and progressive in their thinking, and they're not trying to impose on other people's rights and other people's freedoms and they cannot I hope he is. They cannot agree with it. They cannot believe that it's right, but they don't 
they're not going to stop. I don't know about the, that though, because of the way his his uh, his 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 uh, parents are, and the and the way that his community is, or 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 was when that documentary was released. Yeah. And another thing, I'll go on to say that camp should not have been vandalized. That no, that's messed. That up. was fucked up. You cannot you cannot be okay with this, and and God knows we aren't. But don't vandalize the camp, you know, like that's that's just shitty. Like they are Americans. They have the right to assemble and all that shit. And even though that right to assemble is hard sometimes when you see these KKK rallies in this Westboro Baptist Church, God hates the KKK thing. That's to me. There's a history of like hardcore violence with the KKK and murder. So it's one of those things that. Yeah, it's I hard. don't really hear any murder or or violence or drug, uh, you know, selling or or anything like that going on with uh, evangelical Christian summer camps. Right, but like my so. point that I'm trying to make is that like they both like it, like I'm all for the right to assemble, but sometimes that right is hard for me to support when when extremist groups like the KKK or Westboro Baptist Church. Yeah, you know, go yeah. show up to a soldier's funeral, saying they're glad the soldier died because this is a uh, damned nation that. Supports oh yeah, what gays. they did when Robin Williams when when Robin Williams passed away, they're all like, "He's in hell." Yeah, da, 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 da. they're they're like the original trolls, like they are like yeah. the OG professional trolls. <laughs> There's actually a Joe Rogan podcast where uh, one of the one of the daughters from the Westboro Church she she defected from the group and he interviews her. It's mm-hmm. pretty interesting. But anyway, enough of the Jesus camp. That was fun. I enjoyed talking about Jeezed, it. Jeez, man. Jesus. <laughs> I'm glad people enjoyed it. But um, let's go on to a little bit of How about a little bit of fucking fucking unsolved mysteries, son. The whole whole reason you guys are always here. That Jesus camp, that was like going to a concert and you're seeing the opener and you and you tolerate it and you're like, ah, I know they, they I know the band believes in this opener, so you know I'm gonna try to keep an open mind. But then when the lights go down and you hear, but dun 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 dun, then everyone loses their shit because they know the main event's about to happen. And uh, <laughs> this this segment about a man named Gary Simmons comes to us via a suggestion from uh, Corey Cameraman's. One of our Patreons, um, and if you want to suggest an episode for us, support uh, consider supporting us on Patreon. Um, I actually I knew about this case; I'd seen it, but I forgot about it. It's a great case. Uh, I, yeah, it is. But I found the wiki on it not so great, so I did the old fashioned way of uh, what I originally did on this podcast when it first started, and I hand typed out the entire transcript to this episode. So. Um, I'm going to be reading from that. I haven't done that in a long time. And, geez, doing it, I remember how much of a pain in the ass it was last night. I was, like, trying to type up everything. And I have to go back and pause. Well, and- thankfully, this was a shorter segment. Wait till you try to do something like the ATV murders. Like, that's a longer segment. Oh, like, oh, trying yeah. to transcript that. If I had to, like, hand type out the Martin Luther King segment, I probably would have just, like, like cut my hands off and given up Didn't on you life. do that? I don't know. I might have, actually. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so in November 1991, Unsolved Mysteries received a very unusual letter from a man named Tyrone Rollins, and he wanted them to look into a case. 
Rollins unwittingly sparked a murder investigation with eerie premonitions that he could not explain. Robert Stack, by the way, his reads on this uh, episode, just fantastic. Like, his narrations and his reads on this were just... Well, the location he's at is great, too. He's in this cave. Yeah, yeah, the great location, too. In 1985, Rollins was hired as a school bus driver in Independence, Missouri. Right from the start, he had an eerie feeling about the rocky outcropping behind the bus yard. And they just show this, like... What looks like a little miniature mountain. It's like this uh, this stony, I guess, outcropping, whatever the fuck that is. But he's just, there's these school buses, and then there's just this little rocky, uh, like, m- little mountain hill thing. I guess hill would be a better word. Behind these buses. And it does look eerie. It looks like, uh, a, like it should be in a scene from Stephen King's It or something like that. A very creepy uh, looking location. And then he's interviewed um, this Tyrone Rollins guy, and he says, Every time I walked past them hills, I got the same feeling. I'd be sitting at the front of my bus and feel like someone was watching me from behind. And I'd look back there, and there wouldn't be anyone behind the bus. For a while there, I thought I was just going crazy. There was a strange feeling like a pulling side of me that wanted me to do something, but I didn't know what it was. So finally, on October 16, 1991... Tyrone was overcome with the urge to investigate. On the north side of the hill, he discovered a hidden cave, which is that's badass, man. Like I wish I could, yeah. I wish I could have done that as a kid. I wish in Florida there yeah, was but hills and caves. Not finding what he ended up. No, finding, that would have been very know? traumatic and disturbing. But the cave part would have been cool. <laughs> so he's quoted as saying, "That strong feeling was back again. I knew I had to go in there for some reason." Talking about the cave. It was like an amazing adrenaline rush, just the feeling of being in there. I don't know if it was just not knowing what was in there. When I shot my flashlight towards the rocks, you could see some shiny specks of crystals. So I was examining the rocks with my flashlight, and it was just then that I saw the boot. I was just shocked. I couldn't believe what I had just seen. And what he saw was a skeleton. This yep. wasn't even a dead body. This was, well, I, technically it is, but this was a, a fucking skeleton. I mean, this is like uh, the scene in the Goonies where they go in under and they go underground and then they find uh, Chester Cobblepot. Dental records would later confirm that the remains were those of Gary Simmons, a businessman from Overland Park, Kansas, 25 miles away. An autopsy revealed that he had been murdered, shot once in the head. Tyrone Rollins. startling discovery was about to become a nightmare for the police. They were confronted with a killing that had taken place 17 years earlier. Gary Simmons had mysteriously vanished in 1974, and at this point, an investigation seemed almost futile. Yet, the police had no choice. After all, someone had gotten away with murder for nearly two decades. And how Robert Stack delivers that line was like classic Elliot Ness. Like, he just, he delivered that line so, so good. I couldn't even do it justice, but yeah, it was a great line. So, in the 1970s, this Gary Simmons guy owned and operated a lucrative chain of gas stations in the Kansas City area. His passionate avocation, though, was horse trading. Quote, uh, Jerry Simmons, Gary's brother, Gary always worked hard, and I believe he got involved in horses to have a form of relaxation and a means of doing something fun with his family, and it was a hobby that he'd only been involved in for about two or three years prior to his disappearance. On October 14, 1974, a day before he disappeared, 
Gary Simmons learned of a prize horse for sale. And then uh, quoting, um, they, they have this little reenactment scene or whatever um, where they actually do give you kind of some important information. So I, there's like a dialogue between Gary Simmons and this guy named Tom or this other rancher rather um, wh who they never give his name. He goes, uh, you know Tom Dixon? Uh, and then Gary's like, yeah, Tom Dixon. Uh, isn't he a member of the Appaloosa Association? And he goes, right, right. Uh, he had one of the most beautiful purebred Appaloosas I've seen in a long time. Raised him from a cult. And Gary's like, how much is he asking for him? And the rancher's like, not sure he wants to sell him. He's asking $30,000. And Gary's like, 30000 Phew, that must be some horse. I don't know why that line makes me laugh, but it does. Uh, $30,000? That must be some horse. I feel like that could be like the punchline of like a really bad joke. So, a really bad sitcom? No, just like... And that would be like a repeated joke that they throw in because it's a sitcom around like a horse farm or something. Yeah, yeah like a, a horse that has superpowers or something. That must be some <laughs> horse. Mr. Ed? <laughs> So uh, at 10.15, Simmons left his office, or I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, getting uh, in front of myself here, ahead of myself. Uh, the next morning, an agent acting for the horse's owner showed up at Gary Simmons' office. It was the beginning of an intricate transaction that lasted all day, a transaction that police are still trying to put together. At 10.15 a.m., Simmons left his office with Dixon. Simmons told his secretary he'd return shor shortly, but he did not say where he was going. Fifteen minutes later, Simmons instructed his secretary to make out a check for $30,000 to Tom Dixon. At 11 a.m., Dixon picked up the check. Dixon then took the check to Gary Simmons for a signature, but nobody knows where the meeting took place. At 11.30 a.m., Simmons was spotted at a truck stop 10 miles away from his office. Detective Victor Zins quoted as saying, The owner saw Gary walking back and forth between the counter and the window. He remembers that Gary Simmons was alone and there did not seem to be anybody with him or waiting with him. It was the last time anyone ever saw Gary Simmons alive. Just before noon, Dixon showed up at Simmons' bank. Quote, Gary Simmons had called the president of the bank and had informed him that Tom Dixon was on his way to cash the check. The bank president recognized Gary Simmons' voice and did not hear anything in Gary Simmons' voice to raise suspicion. Dixon's, Dixon took delivery of the money in $100 bills. Around five hours later, Dixon showed up at a salvage yard 11 miles away uh, where he was driving Gary's Lincoln Continental. Dixon was trying to get rid of the vehicle in which the salvage yard employee responded, Well, I can make it flat for you, but if you want to get rid of it, you're going to have to melt it. And the feds have been I love how this guy just went along with it. Like, it seems like he's just been... Uh Going along with all these like potential murderers and shit and just let them smelt their cars in his junkyard or whatever, no problem. Look, buddy, <laughs> you're the 11th person today asking me to get rid of a car, so uh, I'm just telling you the the brass tacks of the situation, man. I, this don't shock me no more. But he, he went on to say uh, the feds have been keeping a close watch on the furnace, so yeah. so melting it was kind of out of the question. So clearly he's been doing this more than once like and and he's he might have been uh somewhat uh or or uh not not necessarily somewhat involved but at least on the outside or the outskirts involved with some kind of uh 
other crime going on because the feds are going in and being like, hey, you know, we think there's some suspicious stuff going on in your junkyard. <laughs> yeah. Just smelting all these cars. Yeah, he was a little <laughs> aloof when asked, how do I get rid of a car? I mean, yeah, that, that was definitely <laughs> a factor. So then Dixon asked him, so do you have any better ideas? And the employee said, we'll put a brick on the accelerator and drive it into the Missouri River. So the next day, one of Tom Dixon's friends dropped him off at a truck stop near Kansas City. Dixon was planning on hopping a cross-country rig, and it was the last time anyone saw Tom Dixon. Six months went by. Then on April 25, 1975, Gary Simmons' Lincoln Continental was pulled out of the Missouri River, six miles from the salvage yard where Tom Dixon was trying to get rid of it. Quote, all we had was two grown men that had disappeared, and that happens every day in America. It was unknown if they had disappeared and not wanted to be found, or if foul play had occurred. Upon finding Gary Simmons' body, it became a homicide investigation, and you have an actual crime. The finger of guilt seemed to point squarely at Tom Dixon. He was accused of acting in a bogus horse deal, and that they just took the money and killed him, and there may not have in fact ever been a horse at all. But then, during the filming of this story, a new witness came forward. Ray Hilt Roy Hilton was a local rancher who claims to have known Simmons and Dixon. On the day that Gary Simmons disappeared, Roy Hilton claims that he heard Simmons making calls to his office in the bank at the Whispering Downs Horse Ranch. He also states that Simmons showed him the horse he was buying. Quoting Roy here, he says, This murder didn't come down over a $30,000 horse deal. It had to come down on some black market gas. I'm almost positive on that because Gary Simmons was having problems getting gas for his stations. Roy Hilton's testimony adds another layer of confusion to an already confusing case. In the year prior to his death, Gary Simmons was struggling to save his gas stations in the era of the 1973 oil embargo. Gary's brother is once again quoted as saying, Gary was affected by the oil embargo with the lack of gas for his stations, and there were rumors that Gary was involved in black market gasoline. Well, what Gary was involved in was buying gasoline on the spot market, and a lot of people labeled spot market gasoline because it was beyond government control as black market gasoline. But it was one and the same, and it was a perfectly legal transaction to buy gas on the spot market, which many oil companies did. Who murdered Gary Simmons? There may be only one man who can answer both of those questions, Tom Dixon. A warrant has been issued for Dixon's arrest for auto theft. When he disappeared in 1974, he was 42 years old. So, he did. That's my yep. assumption, anyway. Uh, Tom Wilson? Tom Dixon. Tom Dixon. Sorry, different, different person. <laughs> I think that's the actor who plays uh, Biff. Um... But anyway, uh, yeah, Tom Dixon, maybe he's dead or maybe he just got away. I don't know. Dude, um, if he but was, he's in his 80s. Yeah, if he was 42 in 1974, that was like, she's like 45 years ago or something like that. Yeah. They said he is likely now in his 80s and authorities suggest that he might be deceased. Yeah. Um, but uh, some investigators now believe that he was killed along with Gary. However, this has not been confirmed. I don't know. It's a really good segment. You know, you got the. They also mentioned that the get black market gas might not actually be black market gas. It's uh, some. Uh, I think uh, uh, Simmons's brother was telling that it was illegal 
uh, they were just doing legal. It was this. Uh, I forgot the exact term. Yeah, that he was I, I using. just I just talked about that. Yeah. spot market. Yeah, uh, spot market. Yeah, apparently, Mike wasn't paying so, attention. No, I was. I've just. I, I, <laughs> you were. It's okay. You were looking at, at dirty pictures online. That's fine. No, no, no. I was looking at. I was. I was reading. I was reading through the 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 updates if there were any on the Wikia page. So I was distracted. Ah. But anyway, it happens um, to the best of us. Yes, it does. But yeah, it was one of those things where eh, it might have been black market gasoline. Like it might have been he what he tried to get the spot market, wasn't able to get any, and then had to go to black market, and that ended badly for him because he was in he was in dire straits. Like he needed gas. I don't. And he needed I don't it buy that fast. that theory. I mean, the fact is, is that that theory didn't even come up until this guy Roy Hilton came out of nowhere. Um, I mean, no. The thing is, the reason why I believe that is because this gas station business was hit extremely hard by the oil crisis. Right, but the whole, you know chance to make thirty thousand dollars in nineteen seventy four by this Tom Dixon guy and then Tom Dixon hops on a rig to go cross country, you know, and no well, yeah, one ever he sees was involved him again. too. I, he was definitely involved as well. Um it might be one of those cases where Tom Dixon could have been involved with some stuff too and he was going for the horse or and, and also if you're talking over the phone, would you actually be talking about black market gas over the phone, you probably have some kind of uh, different terminology uh, over the phone. Because you definitely don't want that to end up anywhere. So you just be like, oh yeah, that horse you're talking about? Yeah, uh, I'll, I, I'll definitely uh, get that. So you, say, you say you think the horse is a uh, was some kind of a code word for gas? It could be. It could be in this case because uh, Dixon knew that Gary was a big horse guy he loved horses so um eh, that, that's, 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 a that's a little wacky for me i i honestly think it i think he was murdered by tom dixon over the, and i think it was a scam honestly i don't i don't think there was there might have been a horse but uh i think uh, you know I, I i i feel like that's i i i do think tom dixon is definitely involved one way or another yeah for sure yeah. but it's one of those like we don't really know for sure what happened because they're tom dixon isn't around uh, all we have is uh, some bones. Yeah, I mean, like, and then then it's like, and they disappeared. When was and that's when it. was Gary shot? Who took his body to that cave? Yeah, you know, twenty five miles away. How did they know about the cave? It could have happened later. It could have been like it could have been he got the horse, got the thirty grand, the black market deal fell out, and then he was killed by you know shady black market oil dealers. And then Dixon might not have even really been, he, uh, well, he had his car. So that's the thing that's very suspicious about it because he had, uh, and he was trying Simmons to get rid car. of it. I mean, I, he was trying I, to get rid like, of it. Like, I, you know, there's no ifs, ands, or buts for me about this. Like, you know, that, like, it, he, yeah. he did it. Like, <laughs> I don't think, it, I mean, yeah, maybe some black market oil stuff, but I, his brother was saying that spot market thing or whatever was what he was actually doing. And that was totally, legal and a lot of other oil companies did well, it. Well, maybe all he all his brother knew of was what his uh what Gary told him and it was a spot market thing and he didn't want to uh 
make him worry or this whole thing happen later. Like that's just, I'm just trying to, you know, you know, kind of, I, I do, I do 100% believe Dixon was involved. Like I thought maybe for a second that he might not have been, but when he has the car, like he either stole the car, <laughs> stole the money or he killed him. Mike, your um, theory is Bobo. <laughs> It's Bobo? Boo-boo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anyway. Um, so, yeah, that's all I have to really say about this case. It's a great case. If you have a chance to check it out, you totally should. All the cool kids are doing it. All right, so the last thing we're going to be talking about is, yet again, another Patreon-requested segment. And this is going to be on the Zenfreda abductions. Um, yep. Zenfreda being the name of um, a private security guard, Pierre Zenfreda. And he was the victim of five extraordinary abductions that took place in Genoa, Italy, between 1978 and 1980. Um, and boy, were they extraordinary! Uh, he was yes. he, he was regressed. That's one way to put yes. it. Yes, <laughs> he was regressed hypnotically after each occurrence, occurrence, and even voluntarily occurrence. subjected to truth <laughs> serum, which helped to validate his amazing stories during his missing time. His abductors left him with a rare and incredible artifact, which he has kept hidden away since his acquisition. Eh, okay. Yeah, if it's real, why wouldn't you show anybody? But okay, yeah, sure, you have... Uh, though, he said rare. Though the media... Didn't say real. The, the media ridiculed his claims. His documented story made the population of Italy wonder what could be lurking in the clouds. Take it away, Mike. Burglars in the Garden. During a frigid December evening, Zanfreda was starting a routine drive around a client's uninhabited county country home near Torrigilla, Italy. I said it wrong, whatever. By I'm not Torriglia, I'm guessing. Torriglia, Italy. His duty suddenly came to a halt when his car and all the electronics died without warning in front of the vacant house. That's not a good thing. No. In the unexpected darkness, he noticed four lights moving through the garden and reluctantly decided to investigate the situation. He drew his gun and quietly crept along the side of the house to surprise the trespassers. Something then touched him from behind, and he jerked around and raised his flashlight to reveal the face of an enormous green creature towering above him. Now, these green creatures, they look like they look similar to like the creature from the Black Lagoon on steroids. They're, they're like seven eight feet tall possibly even taller than that they have like these horns on the side of their head that kind of look like you know gills or something but then they also have gills on their neck and they're green and they have these like red veins on top of their head it's almost like and they have it was almost like if a five-year-old were tasked with drawing what they think an alien looks like i don't know i would say it's more i think more creative than a five-year-old at least for me personally it looks a lot it, it, it looks like Zemfreda saw a creature from the black lagoon recently and had some uh subconscious uh recollection of it and put that into his uh story if it if it is a story now the thing i will say it, it is it is in ufo lore it is not unusual to have various types of of extraterrestrials. Now the, yeah. the grays are the most popular, but there is a very big community of people who have se reportedly seen and who have dealt with more of a reptilian style UFO, yeah. like like alien visitor. So mm -hmm. it's not like this is 
I mean, this goes along with what has already been documented as as far as like other yeah. types of extraterrestrials. Yeah. So they they had like these. Uh, he he drew them as if they had like these uh, uh, triangle eyes. You know, the triangular eyes with the little beady eyes or whatever, and they're yellow. And then when later on when he was on their ship, they were all multicolored, like their hypnosis wheels or something. But they were scaly. They had horns on the side of their heads. They were like super tall. Uh, they had like this metal uh, strip over their mouth, which I, I don't know what it's for. Um, and they had uh, fingers that had like round tips to them, like like a lot of aliens. Uh, even greys have like round tips to their fingers. So, so I just wanted because this this article this doesn't really give a detailed ex- a description of these creatures. So I wanted to give get that image for for the listeners. So, in horror, he fumbled his flashlight and ran back to his car. Behind him, a brilliant light emerged from the shadow of the empty cottage. Shielding his eyes, he turned to look and witnessed a giant triangular craft slowly ascending into the air. His car radio came back on, and he quickly radioed his center of operations for help. The operator, Carlo Toccolino, took the call at 12.15 a.m., noting that Zanfredo was hysterical and speaking of broken phrases. My God, are they ugly! Sanfreda repeated, They aren't men! They aren't men! The transmission was then abruptly disconnected after a few attempts to reestablish contact, and Tocolino was called the security chief, who dispatched two guards to investigate the situation. Pierre Zanfreda's abduction. About an hour later at 1.15 a.m., officers Walter Loria and Raimondo Macia found Zanfreda lying on the ground and warm to the touch despite the freezing December air. Which is kind of weird, because like, aren't all human yes. beings kind of warm to the touch if they're alive? Well, I mean, not ne- not necessarily. I mean, especially if they're out in the cold for so long. I mean, for instance, um, when some the the body temperature kind of changes and things like that, especially on on the skin. Anyway, as if snapping out of a trance, Zenfreda popped to his feet with his weapon and flashlight up in a panic, eyes bulging and disoriented. He was swiftly disarmed and taken back to his operations center for examination. The following day, Italian military police began their investigation into the events that occurred, taking uh, this photograph of these incredible nine-foot diameter parallel horseshoe-shaped indentations in the frosty grass behind the cottage. Then they show the picture of it, obviously. Zinfreda's commanding officer and friend, Antonio Nucci, discovered during the inspection that an astonishing 52 witnesses all described seeing bright lights in the direction of Zanfretta's incident the night before. Quote, I can state with, cre- with certainty that he is a clear-thinking man with no strange fantasies in his head. When we went to investigate the scene the next day, he almost didn't want to come. He was so scared. Only something exceptional could have uh, frightened him so. Also, there were footprints that were found uh, uh, at the site as well, and these footprints were gigantic. Like they, you know, um, I think they just said it was like some. Uh, they use meters, which I, I, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not familiar with meters and center and all that other stuff with a metric system. Um, but they were. It was almost like Bigfoot, but it was like kind of like a round foot. <laughs> You know, like there's no, you don't see any, you didn't see any toes or anything. It was almost like it was wearing boots. Yeah. 
So Zenfreder agreed to undergo hypnosis therapy by psychotherapist and member of the Italian Association of Medical Hypnosis, Dr. Mauro Moretti, on December 23rd. He recalled being conscious in a bright and humid space crowned with a bizarre helmet that continually left him in much discomfort. He evoked a seemingly one-sided conversation with his 10-foot-tall abductors to redirect the lights piercing his eyes and made a particularly vivid impression of their unfamiliar appearance. Uh, quoting Zenfreda under uh, hypnosis, Why don't you like that I see you? I already saw you. You are tall. Your skin is green. Disgusting. And those tips on the sides of your face. Those monstrous eyes. Why don't you have a mouth? You only have irons with a net, which gives out light. The luminous apparatus attached to their mouths seemed to be a translation device that enabled Zenfreda to understand their interrogation. The helmet, an invasive tool used to implant a sort of small chip into his skull for further continued contact. He continued saying that his captors came from the third galaxy, quote unquote, and were interested in making contact with us and were expecting to return in greater numbers. Quoting Zenfreda, they say I must leave with them. What about my children? I don't want to. I don't want to. <laughs> Blood, blood, blood. Like a piece of glaze, pomerola. Sounds like Dracula. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's pretty, pretty gets pretty trippy and weird here. You know, the third galaxy. These creatures are going around, and they're they're talking to him, and and saying that we'll be back, and we'll bring more. And he was also saying the typical, they're telling him about how uh, nuclear weapons are bad and all of that, and you shouldn't do that. And he was mentioning that the they're like this uh, race of aliens, that their planet is dying out, so they want to form a new uh, city on Earth somewhere in like a, with like a bubble over it or something. Like a, a dome, dome city. Yeah. yeah, a dome city. So anyway, um, it, it's it's it gets it gets crazier, folks. Like this 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 isn't just a one time deal. Like he was abducted multiple times. But I still still with all this though, all this that they've talked about is still not crazier than what Scientologists believe. <laughs> I mean, the thing that lay, lends a lot of credence to this particular case is the other witnesses, the other people in the small town around the area, like fifty two different people who saw bright lights. Um, th there were so many bright lights to the point where the, uh, the villagers were desensitized to it. They were just like, oh, there's another bright light in the sky. Uh, okay. <laughs> and, uh, there was, a uh, something that, uh, happened later. Um, I don't know if they actually do mention this here where the creatures were saying we were around in Italy and we were scaring people. Uh, we were scaring the locals. And then there's an actual reported case of somebody in the local uh, Italian town that was saying that there were, he was saying that a UFO was chasing him. So, um, th th and then there's all these other things too, like the other guards and stuff that show up after Zenfreda gets abducted and, or before, and they also see a, sh a light in the sky or they also, or, or their cars also stop working so the, it's it's one of those things that's like there are a lot of things here that would be incredibly hard to hoax, 
But it's like all this other stuff is just so out there that it's hard to believe it. It really is. So continued contact. Zanfretta reluctantly endured another five instances of contact that plagued him in the consistent six-month intervals after his initial experience. The events were almost identical in every case, following a pattern of disappearance and discovery in strange places, bewildering his colleagues. Most of the time he was found in remote wooded areas, but in one instance he was found on top of Garden Mountain, where the posted guards did not witness anyone enter the area through the sole access road. The media was unrelenting and rightly skeptical of Zanfretta's continued abductions, and the harassment was hard to avoid. Pierre volunteered for an injection of pentothal, aka truth serum, and was taken to the International Center of Medical and Psychological Hypnosis in Milan. He received the drug and confirmed his earlier stories, much to the surprise of the witnesses and to the curiosity of the present psychologists. No human being could knowingly lie while he was under pentothal treatment, so I think it's very pop probable that uh, Zanfretta had these encounters, Professor Marco Marchesson. I am so curious how that pentothal truth serum stuff, how does that, how does that work? How does that like, how does that control your mind to the point to where you can't fabricate something? That's, that's just crazy to me. Like, I'm, I'm curious about that. I'm, I'm going to look into that at some point. Mm -hmm. Pierre's Artifact. In December 1979, Zanfretta disappeared for the fourth time. While visiting a self-pump gas station, he was approached by a dark figure, gently calling him into the shadows. Zanfretta was apparently unable to resist his suggestions and was soon joined in his car by a slightly taller bald man with an egg-shaped head wearing a checkered suit. He almost looks like uh, Mysterio from uh, Spider-Man, if that helps. Well, a little bit, but... <laughs> I just find it funny. It's a guy, an egg-shaped head alien with a checkered suit. I mean, this looks like something straight out of, like, uh, a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy or something. You know, this just kind of absurd uh, alien. So, in a trance, he silently headed into a dense fog that obscured an enormous aircraft. Once aboard, Zanfretta describes seeing three transparent cylinders filled with a translucent blue liquid preserving the bodies of a human resembling a caveman a large bird, and a frog-like body the captors described as, quote, an enemy of ours from another planet. That's badass. Like, I wish I could have, yeah. if that's real, I wish I could have seen that. Because, you know, <laughs> I think there's got to be, if someone's from another planet, yeah, they're going to look totally different than us. They're not going to look like homo sapiens, you know. So that would be, yeah. I want to go to the planet with the with the frogmen, honestly. But apparently they're enemies. You should, you should definitely check out the movie uh, Return... Uh not return the frog town. Hell comes to frog town. Oh my god, Mike. You and your fucking there's frog movie knowledge. Because there's frogmen in it. <laughs> All right, then. You, you sold me on it. So <laughs> the creatures presented him with a clear glass sphere with a gold pyramid suspended in the center of the translucent blue fluid. From the vertices of the pyramid, sparks discharged toward the center of the pyramid as it spun around within. They explained that the sphere would make it possible to understand who they were and how they lived. Zanfretta reused to, uh, or refused to take it from them, but they insisted and gave him courier instructions to deliver the artifact to Dr. J. Allen Hynek, a respected astronomer and professor working with the United States Air Force during their initial studies into Project Blue Book. Without any knowledge of who the astronomer was or having any means to deliver the object, Zanfretta kept the artifact to himself. Well, here, here's where things get a little bit eh for me is because 
Initially, he said the last name was something different. It wasn't he even said, like Heineck. Hanky he said, or something. Hanky or something. And then uh, someone was like, hey, uh, do you mean Heineck? Oh, yeah, yeah, Heineck. That's fishy. Also, the whole thing where the sphere stuff keeps changing throughout each uh, hypnosis regression therapy that he has. He will say that they were like, uh, this is, he said initially it was like a TV that would show them, uh, uh, give, you know, show who they are and how they lived and so on and so forth. Then later it's like, give this to the, to the UFO researcher, uh, Mr. Hanky. Um, <laughs> Hanky, the Christmas poo, he loves me and I love you. Then, uh, <laughs> then in the sphere. <laughs> Then the sphere ends up becoming this thing where, okay, you take it and you hide it somewhere because we're, you're going to use it to contact us and then we'll land on Earth and so on and so forth and more of us will come, blah 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 And he said that when he, he, he remembers, he recalls testing it out and it had like a laser on it that uh, sliced a, a hair in half, which is another term for rabbit so slice the rabbit in half and it's just one of those they keeps changing and then later he's like oh they took it back so it's like i yeah this 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 i don't know like that just sounds kind of kind of like a lot of bullshit to me with the whole sphere thing you know it sounds pretty Made up. I mean, if especially you want my opinion, if the story I, keeps changing over and over again. I kind of feel like this whole thing is a little made up, but that's yeah. just me. But go on with the uh... consequence of contact. Sanfreda's disappearances did not go unnoticed by security headquarters and search parties for his whereabouts were a common occurrence during this time. Four patrol guards of pursuit that December evening clearly witnessed the gigantic craft ascending above the hills. See, this kind of stuff makes me kind of go back. See, that's the thing. This is a very interesting and intriguing case because there's a lot of stuff that makes you go, oh, that's just a bunch of bullshit. Come on. This guy's just making stories up. Watch too many science fiction movies. Right. Then, and then you see the stuff where other people are like, they saw a flying craft or their vehicles stopped working or they uh, recall certain things or he shows up in an area that was guarded and nobody saw him or anybody else coming in through the area. So how the hell did he get there? <laughs> I mean, so two direct beams of light shone toward their vehicles, instantly disabling them on the road. Terrified, the guards jumped out of their cars and one of the four was shaken enough to fire his weapon. The craft moved away and left them unharmed, but Officer Germano Zanardi was so traumatized by his encounter that he took his own life a few months later. Jesus Christ, that's If this was if this was not real, why would he kill himself over it? It reminds me of that movie that, Doc, uh, Did you ever see that movie The Fourth Kind? Yeah, it's pretty shitty, but you, uh, know, you didn't like it. I wasn't a, a big fan of it, especially with the combo of like it's found footage, but then it's not and then I don't know, but it's been a while since I saw it. I might like it more. I, I honestly thought it was uh, real at first. <laughs> that's how dumb yeah. i am how gullible i am <laughs> thought it was real it's no it, it's no fire in the sky that's still the best alien abduction movie for yeah me, they do have a great abduction scene that's probably the only thing i like about that movie though is the alien abduction sequence 
Well, I like the other stuff too because I I think it's well acted and well performed, and it gives you more of a perspective of the abduction itself. You know, with the characters and everything. I need to, especially especially like the aftermath. Stuff, yeah, the show, uh, showing Travis after afterwards. I need to go. And on. I need to rewatch that PTSD. movie. So Doctor, uh, so yeah, uh, he was so traumatized by his encounter, he took his own life. There were other instances too where the 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 security guard guy. Uh, uh, Sam Freda, he had a gun and a pistol, and there was, and after one of the abductions, uh, his gun was found with six shots missing, uh, six bullets were missing. They they could not find the bullets anywhere at the scene, nowhere to be found. Uh, it's like they disappeared into thin air. Um, and the the creature, uh, apparently shot all six bullets without making a sound according to his uh hypnosis regression uh session um but then again the bullets could have still been there it's just you know in the in the woods somewhere and they didn't want to look for hijacked regressions dr moretti continued to perform diligent hypnotic regression therapy after each contact but after the fourth meeting zinfreda became increasingly uncooperative he be began speaking in an unknown language, and Dr. Moretti had trouble controlling the sessions. Quote, What is happening here is scientifically inexplicable to me. Continuing on his works, and Freda announced he was contacting the aliens in a guttural voice he announced, You can't work out anything in a case like this. To believe or not to believe doesn't mean anything. Each thing is in its own time. That was pretty good. Ugh. Pretty creepy. Um... Yeah, apparently his facial expressions even changed, like it went to a very hard, stern facial expression, and it was like he was channeling these these uh, these creatures, um, the aliens. Uh, Zanfreda's legacy. Pierre Zanfreda's fifth and last physical abduction, which this is the last one that's recorded, but apparently he says that he did other uh, sessions later on in his life. Uh, he had the last... Uh, hypnosis session he did was in 1992 and uh his fifth and last physical abduction occurred on august 13th 1980 he has since retired and taken residence in the hills ne near Toriglia, close to the remote site of his first abduction where he's allegedly been in contact with the alien beings by the means of the mysterious sphere he's made regular appearances at the ufo center mediterranean conferences speaking out about his continued story of contact he's also aged prematurely he, uh, after these abductions, his jet black hair turned uh, gray, and now it's white. He also gained a lot of weight. Now you can't. That's not necessarily saying that that's because of, because of abductions. Could be he just packed on a few too it's many. All pounds that gelato and pasta and there Italian Italy. food. Yeah. So. <laughs> Uh, in, in, an in-depth investigation of Zanfreda's case was published in the book The Zanfreda Case by author Reno Di Stefano in 1984. Stefano's Chronicles from His Own Investigations in Italy is the most researched account available and has been confirmed by the nearly 60 witnesses of aerial ph phenomenon from all over the affected region at the time. Zanfreda's experience leaves a lot of unanswered questions, though, the most basic of which being, what were they doing here? A final excerpt from his hypnosis transcript leaves a hopeful clue. I know you were trying to come more frequently. No, you can't come to Earth. People get scared if they look at you. You can't make friendship. If that's true, that kind of sucks. You know, if that's really what's going on here, 
We have aliens from other planets who are actually trying to make friends with us and contact and, and do first contact in a friendly way. And we're so stubborn and uh, unable to deal with it that we're, we're, we don't want any, you know, but it's true, but it's sad. I mean, really, I could see like some peaceful alien race trying to contact us and then we like nuke them out of the sky and then start some alien human war over some stupid bullshit that the aliens weren't even intending on uh, uh, getting in a war with us to begin with. I'd be because friends with them. Well, so would I, but I could totally see that. Ha I could see the the government and, and our military not wanting to be friends with aliens. Right. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you know, whatever. I, I don't know what I think about this case. I mean, it's possible. I'm a pretty open-minded guy when it comes to UFOs and stuff. Um, the other thing, too, that's puzzling is the fact that he's talking about the instances w uh, of what ha what is happening on the spacecraft. He's saying that he's in these rooms and these big giant hallways and giant spaces with towers and stuff. And he's like, there's no way that any of this can fit in such a small space. And that's pretty correct. And he's saying that he looks outside a window and sees Earth from space. But then... The, when people are, are on the site all they see is the lights that are just in the sky so is this one of those things where are there multiple different ships is there like a ship that watches over the area or something and is like a, a, a scout and then it goes and then there's like a giant mothership up in space somewhere is is this uh, a projection it is you know, does the spaceship have the same power as the TARDIS from Doctor Who, where it could have all these different big giant spaces and stuff and big uh, giant things in such a small enclosed space? It's just a lot of science fiction elements. And of course, you know, it's that that's to be expected are these the, are just, these the same lizard people that are possessing our political officials and they make <laughs> they make themselves apparent for a millisecond you, uh, you have to be well well they, they did say they did say that they were there were going to be more of them um there's a specific name for them too and like the leader actually had a name but like it's it's not coming to me right now <laughs> his name is Troglaferg. I don't think it was Troglaferg. I think it was something else. Um, regardless, folks, if you're interested in this particular case, um, I would recommend checking out this video uh, by a YouTuber named... I'm looking it up right now because actually it was a really well put together video. The narration was good, high quality... It was well edited. Um, Shout out to Eddie and, Eddie Romero for uh, yes turning us on for, to this case. Yes, uh, it's from this uh, YouTuber named Think Anomalous, and he's done other videos like it, talking about other different cases. Um, so, so yeah, you'll get more information from that about even more details, like about what the name of the creature is, and all of us uh, the the leader of of the group is, and all this other extra details that we weren't able to cover because we don't have all day. Yeah. So that's all the time we got for the podcast today. I got to boot scoot and boogie my ass over to Orange Park to host some karaoke. Um, you can find us online, uh, me and Mike separately, but always equally on our YouTube channels. Mike's 
YouTube channel is youtube.com slash OCP communications. He does movie reviews mainly. What's the last movie you reviewed, Mike? Um, it's still, I believe it's still, uh, the last review, um, I, I did a podcast. I just posted the po- a recent episode of the podcast I do with my good friend, Matt on uh, movie news and stuff. So that's, uh, okay. um, the last review I did was of at close range, a, uh, a drama with, uh, Sean Penn and Christopher Walken. Right on. You can find me at youtube.com slash dancing with ghosts. I do video game reviews, uh, TV show reviews, product reviews, taste testing. I do everything but the kitchen sink. Um, Parodies. You can find my dancing with ghost music videos on there. My most recent video was a in-depth look at the Wii U, one of Nintendo's uh, forgotten or often maligned consoles uh, because it just horrible marketing and combination of lack of third-party support it was one of nintendo's worst selling consoles but i think it's a great console and i did a video explaining why so you should totally go check that out for me and mike uh that's all the time we got for this week our hundredth episode will be coming out sometime next week and it should be big it should be huge um probably do some kind of q a thing in the group so if you want to ask us a question or anything make sure you join our uncovering unexplained mysteries facebook group until next time have a good rest of your week and try not to die or anything and we'll talk to you later senator what's up everybody josh here just want to let everyone know that my new album the nightmare inside you is now available on Bandcamp, spotify and itunes Thank you for any and all support. It means the world to me. I'm full of light.
softly creeping. He came to me when I was sleeping, and the I world... didn't know that. One. <laughs> Sorry, is that is that the wrong key? That's the disturbed version, so it's incredibly low. Oh, here in the darkness, I will see from the neon prophets they raid. From a sea sleeping, and the, seen the music video. Like silent neon <laughs> near. <laughs> All right. The sound of silence. The sound of silence. <laughs> and in the naked light I saw 10,000 people, maybe more. Hearing voices without speaking. Anyway, you should see, you should listen to the, uh, I did a version of Sound of Silence that was like a commentary on, uh, no, I, I think, I don't know if I recorded it or not, but I did, I did, I did a version of it that was about, uh, Batman versus Superman and DC and this whole sort of thing. Like I changed the lyrics around. Oh, wow. I could be fun. Yeah. Because there was that whole meme that was going around with Ben Affleck in an interview where that's where it became popular again is this meme that shows Ben Affleck and they're talking about what about uh, Batman versus Superman, you know, you know, Batman versus Superman's box office and critics aren't really enjoying it. And then it you see his face and it's he's all forlorn and whatever. Yeah. And then, yeah. You're out of touch. I'm out of time. Can't get you out of my head when you're not around. Later in the evening, as you lie awake in bed, and the echoes of the amplifiers ringing in your head, and you smoke the day's last cigarette, remembering what you said. Oh, here I am On the road again Oh, here I am Up on the stage Here I go Playing star again There I go Turn the page I believe I can fly I believe I can touch the sky I think about it every night and day I spread my wings and fly away I believe I can soar I believe I can fly Right through that open door I believe I can fly, I can fly, I believe I can fly, I believe I can fly. What's the matter with the clothes I'm wearing, can't you tell that they're out of style? 